This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Ready? Yeah, is the sound okay and all that? You sound great. Welcome okay, to the Full great. Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Vader. I'm here with my buddy, Leah Arapach. And before we get into it with the Full Blast Podcast, let's just talk about a little bit of a couple sponsors, okay? Number one, Total Boat. Total Boat makes a, adhesives, paints, primers, and polishing compounds. They started out making all this stuff for boaters and DIYers to make sure that their people's boats were floating. They made all this great stuff, and they, they, they started to realize that the maker community could benefit from their products. They make beautiful stuff, lots of um, two-part epoxies and resins and high-value high resins and stuff like that. I've been recently using their high-performance two-part epoxy for handle scales from knife making, and I think it's great stuff. And if you go to TotalBoat.com and you put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. Guys like Keith Deason and Derek from Malden and Keith Johnson and Keith Mitchell and Jimmy DeResta, they're all using Total Boat. So I think I think even uh, Jimmy made a couple uh, he made a couple of canoes and used Total Boat to seal it and it's floating away, no problem. So once again, thank you Total Boat, TotalBoat.com. Use that promo code Full Blast Ten and do me yourself a favor. If you don't believe me, go get some of that UV clear resin. That stuff is awesome. You put a little bit on, then you get your little UV flashlight, and then it'll hard up it's for little spots especially if like if knife makers you got a little void you need to fill get yourself some of that uv cure clear resin and put in a full blast 10 you get that 10 percent off all right totalboat.com next is axwax axwax.us go to axwax.us put in promo code full blast 10 and you're going to get 10 percent off your axwax i love axwax i just finished off 20 uh butcher knives and i use and i use uh with g10 and i use the the axe wax and i know that because i'm using axe wax it's all natural food safe and it's it's just a one great material it's a great wax to use to know that you're not having any petroleum byproducts and it is really great stuff so if you go to axewax.us put in promo code full blast 10 you're going to get 10 percent off your axe wax especially if you're using like woods and carbon steel if you're using uh damascus and you want to kind of clear you know make sure that nothing happens Put on a slick axe wax, hit it with the heat gun, wipe it down, and you're in good shape. So if you're in the UK, go to UKKnifesupplies.com, put in promo code FULLBLAST10 for 10% off. If you're in Australia, NordicEdge.com.au takes FULLBLAST10, and I want to thank, thank, thank the guys at NordicEdge.com. NordicEdge sent me a file guide, and it was a very, very thoughtful gesture, and I really, really appreciate it. Sausage Man Forge hooked me up. Thank you, Saucy, and all the guys at uh, NordicEdge.com.au. They're really I mean, amazing, and go get yourself some. If you're in Australia, go get yourself some Axe Wax from them. They're taking Full Blast 10. And if you're in the EU, Keith Colby's taking it at KnifeMaterial.at. He's taking Axe Wax 2. By getting that Axe Wax 2, he's taking Full Blast 10. So go get yourself some of that Axe Wax, okay? Next thing, guys. You need to start thinking about your website as something that's going to help you and not make you sitting in the DMs like a sucker. Doing business in the DMs is for suckers. You're dealing with people who are tire kickers. They're asking you questions because they want to be your friend, and you don't need any more friends. You have enough friends. Trust me. 
I, I, I'm telling you, you have enough friends. So get yourself a good website, and then all the questions will be answered. How you ship, how you sell, how you package, the size, the weights, the woods, the options. Put it on your website. And if you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, fill out the paperwork, Andreas Kalani will reach out to you and he'll say, let me help you help yourself with a new website or fix your existing website. And he's got 20 years of experience in design and marketing. He works building for corporations, designing websites, corporate identities, entire company branding. Andreas Kalani, before he was a knife maker, he was doing this on the regular like a normal person. He's not one of these guys that just learned how to use the internet on YouTube and now he makes websites. He's been at it for a long time and he will figure out a way for you to afford, affordably make a good website or fix your existing website. He can make you a mobile-friendly website that you can update through your phone. He's designed beautiful websites for guys like Steve Schwarzer, Mike Tyree, Charlie Lionheart, and many, many more. So definitely, 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 Andreas Kalani is the man. Go give him a follow. Give him a follow, but also reach out to him. Go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and see what he has to offer. He does a free, he has a free consultation, and uh, he maybe he can give you a little spring cleaning for that awful website you have. Or if you need a new website that's not awful, he'll fix that too. So akinteractive.com. Thank you, Andreas Kalani. Last but not least, once again, thank you, Broadbeck Ironworks. The guys at Broadbeck hooked me up. They sent me the surface grinder attachment for their 2x72 grinder, and it is really, really quite something. So if you go to broadbeckironworks.com, there's lots of promo codes. One of the promo codes is Knife Talk, and that will get you an upgrade to the Mareko Platin, which is a dynamite platen that you will appreciate i love it it's my favorite platen it's got an extra wheel i feel like there's more torque it's really great and my guest here today leah arapach also has a she's on the team broadback and she's not a knife maker either she's using it for sculpture aren't you that's right and you love it i love my broadback i do and you love your broadback because it's 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 user friendly it's horizontal vertical it's dynamite stuff and you don't have to be a knife maker you can be a woodworker you can be a metal worker and right now i know that they also have this new sharpening system that you need to go check out is really really cool uh very very versatile too and on a little vfd it's like i think it's like a one by 48 belt or something like that but it will get you squared away especially if you're in you're making a lot of knives and you need a lot of help sharpening and blades so thank you once again broadback ironworks and like if you have like a if you got like a um, a beaumont all the attachments for the Broadbeck fit the Beaumont. So if you want, go get yourself an attachment. It, it, the attachments are really great. Slack belt attachment, the uh, the integral bolster attachment, uh, like the fullering attachment. They're all really, really good. So go get yourself some of that Broadbeck Ironworks. And, you know, live a little, everybody. Live a little. Okay. My friend is here. My friend. Leah Arapach is one of knife makings. I think... I don't think that there's another non-knife maker so well-loved as Leah Arapach. And she is here on the, on, the, on the shoulders of a major victory. She won this incredible award. She did a collaboration with Seth Lopez. That's SL underscore Blades. They did a collaboration. And you won an award in a knife-making competition. Congratulations. <laughs> How's this happen? Thank you. I, I mean, um, I didn't realize that there was an award to be had. Um, and so Seth really facilitated that being that he was at Blade Show and sort of brokering the, the knife. But uh, yeah, I met Seth at a different knife show. Um, and 
he asked me if I was interested in building a base for one of his knives that he was doing for Blade, and I was like, yeah, definitely. Um, and it had, it had come on the heels of uh, Matt Stagmer actually gave me the, the advice to, to do something like that because he thought that that would be a really cool opportunity for me. So it, it, I had already had that idea in my head, and then Seth came to me and said he wanted to do something. He showed me where he was at with this totally fucking badass knife and i was like yeah i definitely want to make a base for that that's bad it's, badass the knife is like it's i don't know if it is a chopper is it a how you'd explain it is like a buoy knife or a chopper and it's big and it's beautiful and it's black and it has a black african wood handle and on, on the butt cap is a carved like it's almost like a raven skull skeleton. It is a raven skull. Yeah, I yeah. figured it was a raven skull, and it's and it's. I think it's like called. What's the name of the knife? Do you remember? Shadow of death. Shadow of death. Shadow of death. And you built this spinal column base that starts yeah. off. It holds on the bottom, and it's these kind of like non-recognizable. You couldn't recognize the animal of the spinal column, but you know that it's like this spinal, the vertebrae, every vertebrae, and then it and then it kind of loops, it it, it picks up, it loops back down, and then there's this rib cage that holds it in the middle, holds it standing, and then it comes back up, and it's like the top of the spine holds the blade, so it holds the knife vertically, right. horizontally. It holds it. What's the difference between horizontal? Horizontal. Oh, horizontally. Horizontal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left yeah. and right and horizontal. Vertically. <laughs> I said yeah too. I was like, yeah, vertical. I don't know, man. I, I make it sound like I know what I'm talking about half the time, and it's just like, you know, say it, you know, confident enough, it's true. So yeah, where yeah. did I mean? It, what's interesting, you and I have talked. I guess we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying that how incredible it is that you've been, you've been accepted by and roundly loved by the knife making bladesmith community. It is pretty amazing. It's a huge honor. Um, yeah, it is amazing. I feel very loved. I feel very appreciated. I feel very seen, which uh, I got to say, like, it really is. Um, well, it's just it's something because yeah. I feel like it's really easy to see where I've gone in the last couple of years and seeing the momentum I'm picking up. But there's there was a lot, a lot of working in a vacuum for years and years and years and hardly anyone seeing my work or caring and a lot of rejection. So it feels nice to finally um, feel like I'm being seen. And uh, I, I think that like you made the point when we were talking about uh, the blade crew being such a, they just have such a discerning palette for craftsmanship that like I'm more understood there than I am elsewhere. You know, it's, I find it to be fascinating because Knife makers in general, whether a lot of them like to they like to refer to themselves as artists, which I believe is true. Yeah, yeah. But the the concept of talking about art from knife makers and bladesmiths, it's it's sometimes it's difficult. It sometimes it's difficult because a lot of them don't have the the words to kind of express themselves in regards to why they like what they like or what they do. So you find them more along because here's an example. When you're talking to knife makers, they're not referencing contemporary artists or modern artists for that matter. Usually they're referring to 
work by the old masters or the classics instead of like saying, oh, there's, you know, no one's referring to Matthew Barney. No one's referring to Damien Hirst. No one's referring to, you know, you know, even, you know, closer to now or closer to, you know, the 80s. No one's talking about, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, find Keith Haring. They're not usually using contemporary art as reference point to their work. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, that that's something that I, uh, I think people are starting to understand that with any craft or trade or thing that you do where you're working with your hands, there's always that back end where you need to, or you don't need to, but um, there's theory behind everything, right? So there's theory behind forging, there's theory behind fabrication, there's theory behind bladesmithing and pattern welding, there's theory behind making art too. Yeah, but like that's a vocabulary you learn because you're trained in it, you know. Um, so I think that that's sort of the where I get the vocabulary from is having taken those classes, you know. But you're working in and of itself. I, I, per, my personal opinion is I believe that the reason, one of the many reasons why your work is so approachable. Number one is it's just the craftsmanship is unparalleled. Like the tiny, I mean, that's what the bladesmith, I mean, you know, even these guys who, who, who tested for, you know, involved with the ABS and they're like master bladesmiths and, you know, they're testing for these things. This kind of tiny, minute detail, it resonates with them, with you, because it is, you guys are talking the same, it's the same language of dedication or like minutia. Not, when I say minutia, I'm not being insulting. I'm being like yeah. these very, very painstaking moments. And it is interesting that there is this connection that you have with them. Because you don't make knives. Have you ever made one knife? Hell no. I think I'll actually never make a knife in my career. Um, Out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the move. Or just, oh, I mean, you, you know, like yeah. I, know what I, I know where my lane is and I don't need to go into a different lane. Like I have so many friends that are, amazing bladesmiths amazing hammer makers i don't really need to do those things but um i uh yeah i think because one of my shopmates is bladesmith jay morgan um i watch him do all of these things that are so tedious painstaking and tiny and so hanging out with him and nick anderson and eli sedaris like all these guys that are my crew that I'm eating lunch with and hanging out with because our shops are like right next to each other. Um, I'm learning a lot of like theory and process from them that I, I really, you know, the first blade show that I ever went to that I was looking at a lot of a big collection of many people and their blades. Uh, I didn't really know what I was looking at or understand it. And so I think hanging out with more bladesmiths is helping me understand that theory and those processes. And I'm feeling a connection to that like there's definitely a um like a commitment to just like grinding it out spending the time and uh like sacrificing your posture to like do something really want that very specific detail even though you know you're gonna be sore for like a week you know sacrificing your posture that's a good one right there (laughs) that's a good one right there but but I think that probably because you're working day in day out with bladesmiths and knife makers, you do end up having this. It's more than a relationship. I mean, you kind of know what they're doing. You know, you get the idea yeah. through maybe osmosis. You know, it's like all right, he's heat. Tra- and you can tell when you know the difference between someone's heat treating and putting a handle on. You know, it's like you probably end up 
having a greater understanding of it based on just your proximity. Uh, yeah, that is definitely true. But I think it's, um, it's also kind of fascinating that Jay and I can be literally sh sharing the same forge either side of it. And a lot of it I still don't know because I'm focusing on what I'm doing. And like, I think the same of him where I wonder how much he picked up about my process and what I'm actually doing because he's in the same room with yeah. me, but he's not really paying attention to what I'm doing, you know? Um, so I still feel like there's a lot of mystery there, but uh, I, I do think that I am gaining a lot of knowledge about it just through osmosis. And it feels a lot like it feels a lot like it felt in the jewelry room when you're huh. all just sitting there hand standing on a bench pin yeah. and, t and you know, you drop your teeny tiny little rivet on the ground. Um, that's familiar to me, but more in like a jewelry context. So I'm sort of seeing some, some similarities there too. And you just did this great collaboration with Joshua Prince. Yeah. That was, I mean, so he's interesting. So like the first one you made this bit, well, the, I guess you would, the, the time scale, you did Josh's, the, you did the sculpture with Josh's Damascus first, right? Yeah. You yeah, want to talk sure. about that piece a little bit? I'd love to. Um, Josh has been a dear friend ever since we've met. Um, and we met at Maker Camp in person and that kind of like heard this whole, uh, just like he, he's kind of a mentor and then he's also a really good friend. And so um, he sent me some Damascus. I feel like I, the last two years, I've kind of been putting it out there that I feel like I want to be more expansive. I was curious about Damascus. I wanted to start working with it. And I was kind of just waiting for somebody to say, hey, here's some Damascus. Because I didn't want to necessarily learn how to do it, you know, all the pattern welding before just working with it and right. seeing if it's even possible. So I was really excited when Josh Prince, who's like, in my mind, one of my favorite metal artists, was like, here's some Damascus, try this out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a first project in a lot of ways. Like, I made a lot of mistakes on it. Um, but I think it's uh, the the concept was proven that like I I can work with the material and I'd like to work with the material and uh, the conversations are definitely veering more towards okay well I need to understand how this stuff is made so I can think about how I would want to make it and start manipulating it in the future. But I'm really really far from that place because I I feel like uh, well I'm still learning how to forge and blacksmith all of that is very new so i'm not going to go uh trying to learn how to pattern weld at the same time but uh i yeah i felt really inspired by the material he sent me it felt like something that was uh alive and uh i wanted the flower that i ultimately created with the material to look like it was sort of trying to mesmerize you with these patterns on its petals um so yeah it was a lot of fun very hard. <laughs> I, I'm fast. I, that what you said is really great because I, one thing that you know with metal sculpture in general is the concept of adornment. And when you look at knives, sometimes you'll see somebody will put. And I've heard talk to knife makers who say if you're testing for you know uh, whatever from the ABS, don't put on adornment. You, because they, you, they, 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 they judge you on something like that. And the concept of adornment is like, you know, almost like bedazzling something. When I look at your, the piece you did with Josh's Damascus, it doesn't look like it's adornment. 
It doesn't look like it is an after effect. It looks like it was meant to be there. So you successfully were able to kind of weave in his his welded pattern welded uh, steel with the work that you do seamlessly. So if that is a compliment, then I, I hope you would take it as that way, which is sometimes is hard because like how do you kind of mesh these things together in a seamless manner? And if, if it definitely feels like you've been able to accomplish that. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I think it was a little touch and go. Um, but I think actually like our conversations are kind of seeping into my studio practice a bit because um, you and I have talked about like, why is the material there? Right. Like what is the necessity of that material and how that can be, an opportunity for like a, a deeper meaning in the piece. Um, so for me, I really wanted to uh, respect the Damascus that Josh gave me and not like, there was definitely some pressure that I was going to mess up yeah. and I didn't want it to just be this melty ball at the end of the day that I had to throw in the scrap bin. Um, but uh, I, I think that my instinct is also to when something is kind of new and unusual for me, like, try to control it or to see how much i can control like that's just my psyche doing what it's doing no i appreciate your your approach to damascus because i have the same thing i've been forging for quite a while enough that like there's no reason why i'm not fooling around with damascus but i just don't feel like i'm ready like i don't feel and when i say i feel like i'm ready it's just like why i mean i want to be a better blacksmith like that's like i'm i'm like student for life i'll take my time i don't need instant gratification i don't feel the need to have this pressure to be at a certain point at a certain time i want to naturally have a far far stronger understanding based off of slowing down and becoming better at this that's one of the things i do like about the abs is they're just like they hyper focus you on learning you know, and being comfortable with learning. Obviously they give you a certain amount of years before between testing, but like, I love the idea that there's more out there. And I just, I just, for some reason, there's something deep within me. That's like, I just don't really, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I can definitely connect to that. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think that that's also why I, me and Pat Quinn gelled so well when I was at CMA was I wasn't trying to go there and know everything in a week. Um, And I was like, we get as far as we get. And that's based on how I'm receiving the information and whatnot. But um, I'm, I feel the same way as you. I feel like if, if I ever run out of things to learn or get better at, I'll probably just shrivel up and die. Like I, I feel like I'm 35 I don't need to know how to make Damascus right now. I'm playing with it and I'm toying with it, but I, you know, and most of my training is as a fabricator. I still have a lot to learn in the blacksmithing realm. You have to start choosing too. Like, you know, I have a few friends that are really excited about machining and I'm like, I just don't think I can go down the road. But you know? this is also that this is also from your years in art. And, and I try to explain you know, with knife talk in this, I try to like make these Kind of comparisons in the beginning, I would just say, "Oh, knife makers aren't artists," and and then it was controversial. And then actually, recently, I was at my college reunion, and I and I I spent some time with my old art professor who I hadn't seen in ten years, but like my first class was with him was over thirty years ago, 
And he, I brought some of my knives, and we had some real long conversations. And then he sent me this email. And I've been going on with it. And I make, knife makers aren't artists. Knife makers aren't sculptors. And he sends me this message. He says, this is functional art. And I was like, go fuck yourself, because now that you ruined my whole bit. Like, I had this whole fucking great bit going on, and now, and now I, I got to throw that out. I think that, yeah, I find it more interesting that there is, I try to make these parallels between the mindset of the artist and the mindset of the craftsman. And one thing I think that you and I have a very similar, a similar response to is the evolution of your own work. And it's not like, today I'm going to do something completely different. There has to be a degree of reasoning behind it. Because as you know, when people, when 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 gallerists or 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 people look at your resume or they look at your work, they want to see where it all came from. You know, it's not like today I do this, tomorrow I do that, today I do that. I mean, some people can do that, but like there is something to being able to spot where the old, where the new stuff came from from the old stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I I think that. The, the longer that I've been working and making work and a lot of it is still with me, um, I can spot the same sculpture over and over again over the years. Right. Like every four years I'll make something with a splash and like, I, you know, why do I keep making this thing that keeps emerging out of the water? Like it's still a common theme in my brain. So I think there's like the technical side of that. And then there's the conceptual side too, where like I'm, I'm talking about the same ideas over and over again. Like, start to form this identity of what you feel is important to communicate to the world for your visual work, you know? That's the part that knife makers don't understand. It's the conceptual part. That it isn't just about the form. That sculpture is, there are conceptual issues at, at, that, that are to be explained. You know, sometimes, I mean, you can't, we look at a piece of work and you say, that's cool. But if you were to take an art class on day one of critique, they say you can't say that. You have to say why you like something or why, not something it's good or bad, but why the artist is successful in the decision-making that they're, that they're telling you. Like, is this, is the, if this is their end goal, have they been successful in the conceptual concept and the building of the work to make this a successful uh, final thought from the artist? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had the same, I had the same professor saying to me, like, yeah, you can't, you know, every, everyone has to say something and it has to be fucking profound. Right. Right. <laughs> like or a at critique, least, you know, at least uneasy to understand. And I know we're some of my, yeah. some of the listeners podcast, going, oh, Jesus Christ. We're, 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 no, this is, what <laughs> Here the, we go. What the fuck are we last week? I couldn't hear a goddamn thing. And then this week I don't understand a goddamn thing. <laughs> So like this, this is what happens to the full blast podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but it, yeah, I think it's interesting. And, you know, you and I have both spent a lot of time with Pat Quinn, and we've talked about sculpture with him. And one of the things that's interesting, and especially you know, since you've you hang out with such a different variety of metal sculptors, I think that there's like this. I think that you need to, you. I like separating out metal sculptors from other sculptors because. There are these small lanes that you, the, the civilian doesn't understand that some things are, some, how metal sculpture actually works conceptually. Yeah. 
And one of the things that I've ha- I had a conversation with Pat about, and he's just like, you know, he hates it. He we we talk about our love and hate of found object art. Yeah. Found object <laughs> art is tough. And when you talk about found object art, what found object art is, usually a welder will find some in a scrapyard. Maybe it's like a big old whatever, fire hydrant, or threaded rod, or a giant nut, or like a part from, you know, some gear. And then they'll weld it in and then it'll hang out a little bit. So the viewer will be able to identify that part as whatever it was, not that the sculptor in the the sculptor who made who made the sculpture made that part but they kind of know this particular part this found object has a history and a vocabulary previous to the sculpture that was made yeah and guys like pat quinn and me hate it <laughs> because it's true because it is because it is i mean i'm not speaking for him but i mean i kind of am i mean he, he would say this is what i was he would say he would be quiet when i said this but at the same time when the mics go off he says you were right that's what i believe in my heart of hearts and i think that the hardest part is and that's one of the reasons i think that's also one of the reasons why your work is so roundly loved in the metalworking community is you don't rely on found objects found objects can be really really it's almost like the okie doke it's almost like bamboozling someone because you're taking something that existed and you're kind of like subliminally putting it into the mind of the viewer you know yeah well, I think that that can cut both ways. Yeah. Like, that's a double-edged sword because if you don't incorporate that material into your sculpture in a meaningful way or in a way that uh, like you're hitting that aesthetic just quite right, it just looks like a bunch of nuts and bolts welded together. And we see a lot of that, you know? That's why you um, hear about people, you know, making fun of like welders who make sculptures out of like, uh, you know, horseshoes, you know, yeah. or like it becomes difficult because you have that that latent, you know, uh, history of that, of that particular material. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also, one of my really good friends, Nemo, um, Nemo Gould, he is like, he has like a library of stuff in his shop and he's a purely found object. And then he'll machine the pieces that he finds and he makes really cool work that you don't even know you're looking at a, a vacuum from the 60s right. until he points it out. And I think that that is really successful found uh, found object work, you know? Um, so I think it can go, it can go both ways, but like the challenges with that particular type of media or that tip, typical type of uh, sculpting are uh, that like, it's all about how you're handling that material, you know? It brings me back to what my old art professor used to say, because we did the old, I mean, we did, we found stuff and welded together and, you know, you know, all of a sudden we knew, we referred to it as blacks, as uh, welding voodoo, because it was like, we knew we were just MIG welding some bullshit together and then just using some big words and like putting one over on people. Like we knew it. I mean, it was like, and we, <laughs> we called it black. And then we started to identify that that welding voodoo and that black magic that you know it was like it was like almost like being a some people and i'm not i'm not saying all of it is but the our teacher wanted to ended up saying is you kind of need to make it your own because i see that part and i'm wondering how that part relates to the sculpture because i see it as what i see found something cool to stick in and it works but 
I can't separate that found object from the rest of it. Now, I have seen, and there's a lot of guys on Instagram who make beautiful, actually, a friend of ours that I think you and I have in common, Matt Wilson, airtight artwork. Mm, yes, yeah. Airtight yeah. artwork, I try to get him on. I've known him for a long time before I was making knives. I mean, through Instagram. And I try to get him on here. And he's like, I don't do podcasts. And it's fine. What? He don't okay. do it. That's fine. <laughs> but you talk to him. You talk to him. So what mm-hmm. he does is he'll take forks and spoons and he'll bend them in such elegant ways and create these little birds or animals or cat faces or owls. or And, they're, and then he'll take them from behind and then he'll polish out where the wells are. It, I mean, they are, in terms of found object art, that type of stuff is, and there's another guy in Australia who, and then he, he rusts it and then he creates these very elaborate patterns with these, you know, used objects. But in the, but there are and there are guys who do, I mean, like Matt, Airtight Artwork does an incredible job of making the gestural parts of these spoons and forks really into something special, you know? Yeah. Well, I think he has a really good understanding of form. Right. And that he can look at a spoon and understand how he can manipulate that to really, uh, in like a very minimalistic way, convey, uh, because it's only like a few strokes, right. and there it is, the bird, right. you know, right. um, undeniably. No, and yeah, of course. That's, that's very effective um, and are, hard to do, I imagine. <laughs> I would imagine too, because, but it's like everything, the execution of his, everything he does is always immaculate and it's like and it's and it's not it's not questionable it's not questionable it's not like who is he trying to you know this is like when 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 i think about like found object artists i mean like he's consistently he consistently makes work that's not only beautiful but it is very thoughtful it's very thoughtful and it's always gestural so this kind of like makes me want i wanted to grab you in here because i've been working on this sculpture and talking about it for about four years and i just installed it and i put it on my thing and it has a, it's a sculpture that I didn't want to do for a long time. And I, I really wanted you in here so we could kind of like unpack the whole story. Because what happened was, is in the beginning stages of the sculpture and the middle stages of the sculpture and the finishing stages of the sculpture, what I did, the concepts that I did were co-opted by a lot of different factions of people. And I don't feel like my story was properly told and it was co-opted for the most part by like people with specific agendas and i just felt Mm -hmm. like i'm going to just go with one place my podcast and be interviewed by my friend lee arapach we talk about art (laughs) and we can talk about my sculpture and this is like almost the the first and last time i want to talk about this fucking thing does that sound okay with you let's do it i'm ready so so four years ago, 2018, I was approached by a friend. And feel free to stop me and stop me and, and ask hard questions, anything you want. And, 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 and I just want to explain the sculpture. So four years ago, a good friend of mine, a very close friend of mine who I've been making sculpture for his restaurants for, 20, for 25 years. This is a guy who's been a huge help to me and my family and to my business. This is a friend. This is a guy who's gone to bat for me for years calls me up and he says hey listen i was down at the police department and i taught he this is a guy in the neighborhood and he does a lot of work with the city the city that i'm in mm-hmm. 
and he does a lot of work with the police department, all the various different, you know, there's always new chiefs coming in and stuff like that. And he always avails himself to the police department. He says, listen, I was talking to the police chief and I was saying to him, how can we as a community be helpful to you, the, 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 you know, the city of Peekskill police department. And some of the things that you guys want to do, some things that if you want to do any fundraising, tell me what you want to do. And then the chief at the time, Don Halmy was just a dynamite guy. He says, well, listen, we, we want to do a lot of community outreach. Um, and we're trying to do things like gun buyback programs. Now, what a gun buyback program is, and he says, well, we don't get money from the city. We don't get money from the city. We don't get money from the state. Usually we try to rely on fundraising, and we'll do these gun buyback programs. Now, what he explained it as, well, Louis said to me, he calls me up and he says, hey, you want to weld up some guns? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? So he says, we're going to do this. I want to do this fundraiser for this gun buyback program and the chief we can we can raise money for the for the for the police department and do a gun buyback program so i said well listen let's let's get together let's talk to the police chief and i want to i'm not saying i wouldn't say no to him you know only because he's been so helpful to me and it's like you when somebody asks you when somebody does so much for you and you just say no right off the bat it's like it's just i just wouldn't have done i, I wouldn't have done it for a number of different reasons so we have a meeting with the police chief, and the police chief said to me, he's like, listen, we try to do these gun back buyback programs. It's hard to do because it's hard to bring the money in. But what we're doing is, is we're not mandating people. We're not taking people's money. We're not taking people's guns. We're not making a big production about it. There are a lot of people and families who have households that they have unwanted guns. They have guns that they don't want. Maybe their father had it. Maybe there was an uh, antique or maybe it was, in some circumstances, something that they found in their kid's room or something that they don't want in their house. And they want to get rid of it safely. You can't just throw a fucking gun in the garbage can. You can't do it. It's, you know, it's dangerous. So what yeah. the police have done is they came out. He, so the Don Alme, the chief says to me, he's like, well, listen, we're going to do a gun buyback program. We'll set up a space. It'll be a safe space. And it'll be no questions asked. And we'll say on this day, well, we're going to have some money. And what we'll do is if you come in to relinquish the gun that you don't want, we're not telling you if you have it, you want it, you still have to bring it in. If you don't want it, this is the day, this is the place, you bring it in, we'll take it from you and we'll give you some money, a couple hundred bucks, whatever. And no questions asked. We're not going to like, you know, put, put the handcuffs on you as soon as you, you know, this isn't like. Yeah, a, it's not a trap. <laughs> no, it's not a trap. It, this is, he's like, it's difficult because people seem to think that we're trying to take your guns away from you. And that's not the case. We're offering people the opportunity to relinquish something that they don't want anymore, or it's unsafe in their house, or it's un, you know, they're trying to get rid of something in the safest manner possible. So what, we're, so what my friend says is we're going to raise the money so you can have a successful gun buyback program to take as much as possible. And I thought that what Jeff could do is he could take those unwanted, unsafe guns and make a sculpture with them. What do you think, Jeff? And I'm at the point where I'm just like, in my mind, the first thing I thought of is I want the parts. Like, <laughs> I, even though I hate found object art, in my mind, I'm thinking I could make some interesting shit with those parts. And you can't, you can't just take guns and cut them up. There's, we're going to get into that. There, there, it's against the law to do that. So this would be a sanctioned situation by the city of New York, of city of Peekskill. And I would be getting parts and I'll explain how it's done. And then I'll make this sculpture and we'll figure something out. And I said, sure, sounds great. 
How can I help? How can I be helpful to this situation? Well, you're going to do something for the community. So they figured out this, they had this big event and they got this brewery to make special beer and they had this, they had a dunk tank that I was involved with a dunk tank and we had, the, it was a fundraiser and then they we raised, we raised $15,000. And then the city, I don't know, they, they had some private donors who donated it. I think it was upwards of like $22,000 was given to the police department, not taxpayer money. Oh, and that was one of the things I said, I will be involved in this on the condition that I don't take any taxpayer money. I don't want any money from the city. I don't want any money from the state. I don't want, I'll do it on the arm if that's the case, rather than get money from the public. Because I have, we're going to talk about public art. I'm not a huge fan of public art, be honest with you. I, I, for me, for me in itself. So do you have any questions? If I, am, I, am I making it clear so far? Yeah, for sure. No, that all makes all right. plenty of so I said to them, I was like, look, I would do this as a, I would do this for free as a favor to my friend because he's been so helpful to me over my career. And in my mind, I'm thinking I want the gun parts. You know, I, I'll make something <laughs> with them gun parts that'll be all of a sudden it's like now I have something interesting. I could make some, you know, interesting small sculptures over again. So there's OK, we're going to have the police come down to your shop for a day and we're going to do a photo shoot and you're going to put some guns in the forge and then they're going to take some pictures and then we'll make a big thing about it. And if you could make like a little mock up or something like that. So in the meantime, they said, so my friend says, well, what are you going to make? And I said, well, what do you want it to be? And he says, I was thinking you'd make a big peace symbol, like the peace sign. Like, you know, the peace sign that like, you know, sure. like the Volkswagen symbol with the, with the one in the middle. And I was, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's like, it's so late. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't do that shit. I don't do it. And then at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I going to do? Now all of a sudden it's like, I said yes. And then when I say yes, that's it. I'm going to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I going to make? I make lures. I make these things that I want to make. I make what a lot of art people think is outsider art. What am I going to make? All of a sudden, I'm political. So I tried to think about exactly what I would do. And I was thinking, what would be an interesting symbol that when you looked at it from afar, you'd understand what it was. But then you looked up close, maybe you could see something different. And I thought, one of the things in society that we now see are the, the, what people have on their lapels. It was like a ribbon. And that ribbon that people have, and we used to see, you know, saw it like 20 years ago with AIDS, you know, the red ribbon was for AIDS and awareness, you know, and then all of a sudden you'd see yellow ribbons and you see purple ribbons and pink ribbons. And maybe you didn't not necessarily know what the color represented, but you saw that this was a, a sign of remembrance or awareness for something. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the fucking giant sculpture out of guns and it's going to be a ribbon and people are going to see from a distance and they're going to think, oh, that's a ribbon for something. And I'm going to get closer and I'm going to say, oh, those are guns. And so that was the original idea and I just stuck with it. And then I had to pass it through the city because the city was just like, even though they weren't, even though they, they weren't involved financially with this, I mean, they were nervous. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, all of a sudden this, you know, sculptor or artist is going to make this sculpture. They automatically think it's going to be political. And I had to explain them. I explained the concept of the original idea, which is going to be like that. And the common council liked it and blah, blah, blah. And it, now that there's no money involved from the city, the city's kind of not really on the hook anymore, except for the fact that. I am sl I'm now connected to the city and now the police department's connected to the sculpture and like people were nervous. Let's just say people are nervous. Yeah, sure. So sure. 
I'll tell you what the interesting thing happened. So the two police officers, one of the officers who I was the lia- was uh, the liaison with me, and I even said to them, "I don't want police. I don't want police being involved. I don't want police in my shop because I don't want the taxpayer money going to paying them in my shop. Like they should be doing their job. I should be nothing to do with it. But we need to do this little press thing, and we need to explain how we get rid of unwanted guns. So what they do is." So this, these two officers came. One officer was this, the person who was my liaison, and then the other one was, I guess, the quartermaster, or the, like the, you know, the, the person in charge of guns. And let me just tell you one thing about this guy. He was perfectly nice, but like, cops are very good at arresting people and doing law stuff, but when it comes to metal work, they're terrible. They're just terrible. So <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I'm it's shocked. shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> I was shocked, to be honest with you. So they brought like they brought these cases into my shop, and they they explained how they you know, get rid of or retire or dismantle guns. So what they do is they'll take a picture of the gun and they'll have a number and then have a case load and whatever. And then they'll have it destroyed. And usually what happens is, is it'll be destroyed by the public, public, the department of public works will show up in their driveway with an oxyacetylene torch. They'll cut the gun apart. Maybe they'll just even hit the, the trigger into the hammer with the torch and that'll render it inoperable. Like you can't, I mean, they make it inoperable. And then they'll take another picture and then they'll send it to the city, to the state of New York saying, okay, this, this particular gun, the serial number, everything's done. So, I, so they took a picture and then I said, let's smash one up. So we put it in my forge and then I put it under the power hammer. I got it bright red. I hung it up. And if you want to see what it looked like, go to Jeff Fader on Instagram. You can dig deep. I'm not, don't, I'm not, I'm not you know, hand feeding you everything. If you want to dig deep on the Jeff Fader, you can find what I did. And there's a picture of me with this. This police officer, this police officer, no, nothing. And I'm holding up this bright red gun, and we put on the power hammer, smash it up. And I started to realize that some of the guns were not steel. Some of them were not, some of them were aluminum, some of them were stainless steel, some of them were titanium, some of them were whatever. I don't know what the fuck they were. So the police officer says to me, he's like, this one's a special stainless steel from Germany, and he's telling me all about it, nine millimeter. I don't know anything about guns. And I said to him, I'm like, I don't think that's steel. And he goes, oh, this is German stainless steel. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, listen, this is going to melt into my shit. This is going to melt in my forge. I know, what it, I know what it is. Oh, no, no, no. This is steel. Puts in, I put it in the forge and all this green smoke starts coming out. Oh, it was fuck. all aluminum. And it melted in the bottom. The whole thing melted the bottom of my shit. I had to clean the, you know, I had to put the extraction fans on and we had a, it was all aluminum. And, it, and then I just turned to the officer and I said, no, <laughs> you know about you know about arresting people. You know you're giving tickets. Leave the metal work to me, okay? If I, yeah. if I I can feel that it's aluminum. I can feel that it's not what you're saying. So, so they they stayed for about an hour. They took pictures and stuff like that, and then they and then I actually forged. And then I decided I was just going to take the steel stuff and forge the steel stuff. So we do the pictures. They do the event. We have this great event. Um, we raised the fifteen grand, twenty two all day, from what I understand, between eighteen and twenty two all day. And then they have the gun buyback program. Now, when I, now they want the, the the PR department who's involved with this, who's on the who's on the arm. They're you know helping kind of promote this thing. Is starting to send pictures of the smashing the guns and and the sculpture, the the mock sculpture I made. And then I thought this is done. I mean, this is like no controversy because. 
the police department or I'm helping the police department do something. I'm helping the city because we're taking guns off the street and I'm helping my friend who's organizing it who's the biggest Second Amendment guy I've ever met in my entire life. The guy is strapped to the teeth all the time in New York yeah. and he's legally allowed to be because he's like, he's legally allowed to be strapped. You know, he's Second Amendment. I'm thinking, what's the problem? The first problem was... I ended up doing an Instagram live to exp- explain what I'm doing. And then for some reason, all these people, what is this all about? And the guns and what do you think you're doing in the second amendment? You shouldn't be doing. And then another guy says, you know what you're doing is illegal. And I could report you to the ATF and <laughs> I'm getting messages because that's a thing. Like, I guess there are people who are putting their AR 15s and chop saws and videotaping it. And that's against the law. Like yeah. you can't legally do that. And I actually, I had to explain it. You know, this isn't, no, this isn't what happened. This is, and I have like, you know, and then another guy would come in and I had to explain it over and over again. And I was just like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't even think I want to talk about this anymore. Like I'm not making any money. I said, I already said, and that was part of it. Like if I'm not taking money, I can be a little bit like, I'll hit your deadline. I'll hit your deadline, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I don't feel compelled, you know, it's a, I took yeah. a lot of that out of there. Does this make sense? Do you have any questions? Yeah, for sure. Any yeah, questions? Absolutely. Am I boring you? Am I just going on and on and on? Or is this? No, not, uh, not at all. I mean, I think it, it's, it's interesting because people, a lot of people that are really um, big on guns are like really good about following the rules and like don't want guns in the wrong hands or people that do, are going to lose track of them because they right. inherited it or whatever. So uh it's it's i mean it sounds like you were not even really talking to people that like most people that are passionate about guns are pretty passionate about gun safety too I, well I don't, I don't know be honest with you because a lot of the people who were a lot of the people who were sending me messages were the the big one was what a shame what a shame what a shame that these guns, why, it's too bad. That, why do these, why does this have to happen to these guns? Like there was almost like this totem thing with the guns. And I even sent it to the chief. I was talking to the chief about it. I was like, all these people seem to say, see, are saying to me is like, why does this have to happen to these guns? Why do they have to be destroyed? And the chief looks at me, he puts this smile on his face. And he says, what am I supposed to do? Are we supposed to clean them after they've been involved in something? Or what happens if they get involved with a crime? And then they trace back that we, whatever, cleaned them and sold them. You can't do that. They have to be destroyed. It's like, it's crazy. Like you can't, if we can't, we can't allow them to be put in the hands of someone who's going to do something wrong with them, regardless. Like we can't be, you know, that's it. They're done. Yeah. So there were a lot of like famous people were coming up to me saying, you know, it's a real shame what you're doing with those guns. And I'm just like, I, I would explain it. And then, but here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing was I found that conservative people were far more reasonable than yeah. my liberal friends because all of a sudden there's a, there's a, there was a New York Times article about it and, and there was, you know, we, we were making a big production about it in the town and doing this and there was a picture of me in the New York Times with, it was a great picture. And I'm like, at this point, I'm thinking, let's just not talk about guns anymore. Like, let's just, I'm not fighting the sculpture. I don't, I don't, I'm not getting paid for the sculpture. I don't have any, I don't have any emotional connection to this situation. I promised a friend I'd do something. 
and I want the parts. You know, like this is all very like easy to explain. I'm not, you know, I'm not a political artist at all. So I'm in the supermarket one day and I'm just minding my own business. And then this guy just vastly pedal pedals up to me with his little cart. And he goes, this is pre-pandemic. He goes, I want to talk to you. I'm like, hey, let's just say his name is Bill. Hey, Bill, how are you? And then he put his finger in my chest. <laughs> I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy's kid. I know this guy. Yeah. I know his wife. He says, you owe it to the people of the city to make sure that this sculpture is, and he's giving me a litany of things that I'm responsible for in regards to the sculpture. I'm just like, and he's giving, he's reading me the riot act, the riot act. He's reading me the riot act. I'm just trying to get some cauliflower, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not really <laughs> like, I'm literally just getting the, the groceries for the week. And this guy, he's got his finger in my chest telling me what to do. And he's a writer. And I said, I think I said to him jokingly, I'm, I'm expecting a, a copy of your next manuscript for your next book in my hands so I can tell you what you should do. And he got quiet. And I was just like, <laughs> I want to tell you how you should write your books. Because, yeah. and he was like, we left it there. But there was a lot more of these more liberal people saying, you got to melt them all down. You got, that's what, all these guns, you got to melt them all down. That's just the way. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I explained it. And no matter how I explained it to conservative people or liberal people everyone was hot under the color no matter how i explained it yeah i mean i first of all kudos to you for taking on a really difficult project and carrying it through and making a really beautiful sculpture out of uh something that is i mean it's it was brave what you did because i know that you know it is a really uh evocative topic and that like you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't but to address the it's a shame to melt these guns down it's not like you were being given like vintage collectible guns it's kind of like being a like upset that kia sophia's are getting melted down and crushed into cubes to make new to make new cars you know it's like these were guns that people didn't want they volunteered them because there was a service offered for to them to get the thing out of their house that they didn't want. It's impossible for me to get rid of my chemicals. I would love it if somebody was like, I'll pay you to take your dangerous chemicals off your hands. I'd be like, awesome. Well, but um, it's also, but it's also, I mean, some of them, I mean, by the time they ended up getting to me, they were already destroyed. Like yeah. I just made a point of like, I don't want the cops here and I have to destroy every single one. Yeah. They called the par- department of public works. They brought their truck up to the parking lot of the department, the police department. And they just cut. They put a cut in every gun. Now, some of them were probably vintage. Some of them were antiques. That's what the police chiefs told me was. So they had the event. I was interrupted. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. What you were saying? No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah. Sorry. Well, I was. What I was saying was is was the the police chief said to me they had a they ran out of money. They 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 went through like twenty two grand fast, and they ended up taking they ended up collecting one hundred eighty seven guns, two guns that were legitimate uh, assault rifles. Like they like I have them in the shop. They're fucking crazy. Like it's like <laughs> like at a Rambo. It's like totally crazy. Like not and I'm not talking about like you know oh you don't know what to do. These are like like let's storm the let's you know let's Arnold Schwarzenegger from Commando. This is like real. So regardless. 
they sh- I, they showed up at the, I got them all I kind of unloaded them I figured I looked at them and I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do now I'm committed now I'm really committed and I had already made the decision I'm not going to talk about it anymore because like I don't need to I don't need to win people over left or right because financially I'm losing on this I'm losing on this because yeah. I don't even want to do it really I did it because I said I'd do it but like there's a lot on the line so this is still pre-pandemic. This is uh, 2018, and I'm just like not hot to make this at all. Like I don't even know what the fuck to do. And looking at the material, I've started, I I put a couple pieces in the forge. When you put rifles that are steel or shotguns, there are parts, there are springs, there are latches, and as you forge them down, they crack or parts are cracked or they're not. It's not carbon steel. It's not like a. It's not like putting a piece of rebar in the forge and then you hit it under the power hammer things crush and crack and break and smash and fall apart and all of a sudden my heart sank because i'm thinking this is gonna and they want this to be like a giant sculpture it's gonna be 12 feet tall or something like that i mean what the fuck am i gonna do because like i can't have something that's gonna fall apart you know so at first i think let's just so then they were just like, oh i can't wait to see what the sculpture can't wait to see the sculpture meanwhile i'm just like i don't want anything to do with this nobody wants to see it I don't want to make it, and, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. Yeah, I know you are. Nobody wants to are. see it, and I don't want to make it. And and it's like, so when are you gonna think you're gonna be done? And then the poli- my 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 friend at the police department was like, so oh, can't wait to see it. Maybe we can come down and watch you build it. And I'm just like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of tough time right now. And I'm just like, I gotta make something. So I think to myself, what the fuck am I gonna do? Because like I put it in the forge, and then most of the handguns that are scrap just to let you know everything in my shop that has anything to do with this it's scrap metal there's no like parts that you could take off there are no barrels you could take off there are no they've made it very you know they've they've dismantled these to the point that there's just scrap total scrap you can't do anything with it so i just start thinking all right well we better just start welding something up or doing something so i started to weld them up and just to give something, something, just to get an idea. And I fucking hated it. And I stopped and I just put it on a, put it on wheels and I rolled it into the corner and I'm like, I'm fucked. The, this sculpture is going to look terrible. This is going to be just exact. And the other thing is the other reason why I took it is because there are other metal workers in this area. And I thought, I don't want these motherfuckers to have this steel. I want this steel. <laughs> this was a, when I, I'm not kidding at all. I am a spiteful. And I don't well, want you the- raise a good point, though. Like, you, there were other people that could have done something different with that material, and I'm kind of glad that it wound up in your hands. Well, as opposed, it to, could I have mean, been I don't bad. know. You know, it could have been yeah. bad. And, and yeah. we're gonna get, we're gonna fast forward pretty soon. But I didn't want these fucking ham and eggers getting this steel. You know, I don't <laughs> want these fucking flea bags with this like legit good shit for sculptors. You know, this is stuff that like a one shit for sculptors. I don't think, I think that if you pulled 90, I think if you pulled a hundred metal sculptors and they had the opportunity to get a lot of gun parts that were destroyed for making sculpture. I don't, I think maybe 10% would say no for the opportunity. Just even if you don't make anything with it, just like, eh, I kind of, I kind of need to have this. So that was my situation. I was just like, blah, blah, blah. I need to take it. So I start to make it. I hate this fucking thing. And I push it into the back. And I'm like, I got to make knives. I'm just going to like, hopefully, I'm going to push everybody back. I'm going to give an idea of when it's going to be done. When it's going to be done, let me, you know, think it over. 
And then I made sure that the police didn't show up to see what was going on. I made sure my friend didn't come on over to see what was going on. I just was like, let's pretend this isn't going to happen. And then I'm not going to talk about it. And I, and I would refer to it as the fucking gun sculpture. And I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. And I hated the name. I hated the concept. I hated even calling it the gun sculpture. I hated everything about it. Pandemic hits. And I'm thinking, well, that's one thing I don't have to worry about anymore. I don't have to worry about this goddamn gun sculpture. I wasn't given any money. So no one feels like they're on the hook. I don't feel like I ripped anybody off. I'm just storing all these parts and this god awful sculpture in my shop that's halfway done not even halfway quarter way done and um that's it i'm you know let's just ride this pandemic out they're not worrying about public art right now <laughs> so then let's fast forward i don't have to worry about it anymore but however i it's still in i'm it's still in the shop and i got all these you know i got buckets of it and stuff and now fast forward to this uh november my friend says to me he's like look we want to make that sculpture and we want you to do it. And, I, and, he, and he turns to me and he goes, I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't want to do it because you would have already. Oh, man. I know you don't want to do it because you would have already. Because I'm the guy with this guy, especially. If he gives me a deadline, I'm a week early on the deadline. Like, I yeah. love this man. And if he says he needs it by Friday, I got it by Monday. You know, the, or the Monday before with, with, without fail. Like, there's just no way. So he says to me, he's like, I know you don't want to do it. Here's what we're going to do. I found this arts organization who is going to commission it and they're going to get some money for it. And then I know that's going to make you want to do it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, at the very least, it's payroll because now I have employees. So I'm thinking I will do it because I have payroll to make and this will be perfect. And I'm not going to take the money and give it to Jeff Fader. I'm going to give, put it in, we're going to put it under Fader Knives and then this will satisfy payroll for a while. And that's great. That's great. So allow me to invest in the company. That's good enough for me. But now this fucking thing looks terrible. So, we, so then I had the arts come, the arts program, come, and, I, and here's the funny part. So I had to have the arts organization come down to, to look at it because I needed that first check. And it looked terrible. I mean, it was, just, it was like I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed, honestly. But in my mind, I'm thinking, just get the first check, sling some horse shit at them, and then get the check and then start over. No problem. Done. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. We're talking. This is These real. These are hot takes in the art industry. <laughs> this is real. And we're giving you real insight to how a sculpture works. Yeah. You have to satisfy <laughs> some situations with some horse shit, then get the money and then work it all out. So the, the, this yep. organization comes and I'm explaining and I'm looking at this monstrosity really legitimately i just literally i I didn't even like bend any i just like welded the guns into one of this it was bad real bad and i thought to myself a kid's gonna climb and they're gonna cut themselves or a guy's Mm, gonna try to take the trigger off and he's gonna want to fucking use it in his own there's a million things that are gonna happen this thing's gonna rust what am i gonna do can't you know Oh, and they come in. The guy's wearing a beret. Oh, I understand. <laughs> no. oh, these these are people. No. These are people are the fucking worst. <laughs> it's like it's literally like you could tell these are. The, there's nothing more odious than an art person. <laughs> nothing more odious, oh my repulsive. God. And he's just like, oh, I see the fe- I have the feeling, and I just and I'm like, yeah, 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 the feeling. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I had this vision in mind, and it's and I'm just starting to like you know, do the whole horse shit that you learn over the years. Just, you know, tell them what they want to hear. And it's complete insincere bullshit. I just want that fucking check. (laughs) 
So they were excited, and and I'm thinking to myself, how can they kind of like this? But I don't care. I just want to get that first check. So then I sent them. I said, okay, great. And then they're like, okay, we need your tax ID number. We get the you know, four five hundred one c three. All this bullshit. So Tony takes care of that, and then all of a sudden, I'm just like the check isn't coming in. So now all of a sudden, one week passes, two week passes. I'm like, and I said, all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not starting this fucking thing until I get that first check. Yeah. So I start to rattle this guy's cage. I said, you like this goddamn sculpture so much. Pay up. I gotta, I gotta pay for gas. I gotta pay for this. I gotta pay for that. Let's go. Let's go. So we start having this cage rattling situation. Then the check shows up, and then all of a sudden my stomach drops because like now I gotta fucking do it. Now you're committed. <laughs> so at this point, I was talking with I was during my interview with Pat Quinn. We were talking about found object art, and I was talking about I was vaguely talking about the sculpture, and I was like, ah, I gotta do this goddamn thing on the podcast. I gotta do this goddamn thing. And I kind of wanted his advice. And yeah. I just remember, and if you listen to the, I think it was the first, I don't know if it was the first or second Pat Quinn episode. I don't remember where it was. It was, it was I think it was, I think it was the second time I had him on. I said to him, I talked about, oh, I got a found object art. I hate I found object art. And I got to make, I got to use guns. And all he says to me is like, well, good luck. And it was perfect. <laughs> It was perfect Pat Quinn. That's because classic Pat Quinn. Perfect. Well, good luck with that. And he did that to me twice. I love it. I'm so fucking happy because I'm just like, he just don't want to, you don't want to, you know, oh, he hates, I can tell that he hates the, I can tell that he hates it. Like I can tell, which is fine. I hate it. I'm making this goddamn thing and I hate it. But he goes, well, good luck with that. I'm looking for some fucking sage wisdom and I get good luck with that. I'm like, all right, I guess you're on your own, Jeff. You're on your own. Pat's not going to help you at all. So, Throughout this period of time, I'm really spending a lot more time on the forging idea. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm thinking about my art professor says, is make it your own and don't have it be this and don't have it be that. Make it your own. So I realized I have to just forge down the barrel. I have to cut the parts that I can use. I have to make them into one specific size and then forge them into place. That's what I did. So what I did was I spent a few, and then I was working evenings and then weekends. And then I was—I decided I was just going to cut all the barrels off, all the rifles. I can't, you know, I forge one gun out and it's falling apart. The, the steel is falling apart. It's, it's, all hard, it's all hardened steel, it's carbon steel. So I f- cut off all the barrels. I, f- I put a, a, a 3 8 inch kiss block under a power hammer and I made them all 3 8 And then what I did was, all right, well, I need some structures. I don't know how flimsy this fucking thing is going to be. So I I used a uh, my uh, uh, my friend here has leaf springs. So I cut some leaf springs in two for making structure. And I made the structure with the leaf springs, and then I forged all the material down. It took me about a week to forge the material down, and then I started forging every piece individually because I ran a ga- oxyacetylene gas, and I was like, I'm not gonna go. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to forge every part. So I forged every part and then I welded it together and I slowly building, slowly building. I'm thinking about that, the structure and we already went to figure out the, the set, the, the footings, where the footings were. And then all of a sudden I had this much more specific situation. And then my ceilings are only nine and a half feet tall. So I can't make it higher than nine and a half feet. And then I got to move this goddamn thing. Bingo, bango, bongo. And I know that I, I was talking to Actually, I was talking to Keith. I was going to talk to Keith Mitchell about coding things, and I was going to like actually. Good I was thinking about using Total Boat as a uh, epoxy, clear epoxy. The problem is, is as you probably know, steel and 
you know, a pot, you know, uh, varnishes, clear varnishes don't really work well with steel in the sun. Like it falls, yeah. it just it falls apart. Yeah. And then once it falls apart, it's such a production to repair completely. Oh yeah. Then it's a restoration job. Yeah. then it's a restoration job. So I decided I want to paint it and I'm thinking about, the, I'm thinking about the colors and I'm thinking about, well, you know, red is for AIDS and this is for the member. I should do something that has relationship to me maybe because now all of a sudden, where does this all fit within the confines of what Jeff Fader does? And I know I'm going on and on and on and I'm almost done. So I think, all right, I'm doing Neptune Sunrise this year. Let's do this year Neptune Sunrise colors. We'll do green and blue, and then we'll have a orange orange pin. So the so the pin, the orange pin, is what holds you in the lapel. And then as I'm building it, I start to realize it's going to be by the river, so I want it to look like it's been windblown. So I'm making these conscious decisions based on the surroundings and the whole thing. Finish the sculpture, paint the sculpture. And now all of a sudden I don't feel so bad, but I think to myself, don't call it the gun sculpture and don't promote it as being a gun sculpture and don't even say the word guns because people can't recognize this. And as I'm doing these like work in progress pictures in my stories and stuff like that, people think, oh, that's cool. Or that looks awesome. Or what? These are gun people who don't know that it's guns. And all of a sudden, it becomes a far more interesting sculpture because you can, you could say if it, if, you, if it wasn't guns, if it was just a regular sculpture, it didn't have that thing. And you could make the point that it looks like, you know, some corporate art, you know, some naive style outsider art, corporate art. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't scream out that it's made by guns, right? So do you have any questions? I've been going on and on and on and on. Um, well, I have some observations. Go ahead, please. I'm um, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I mean, I, I feel like when you were first tasked with this sculpture, um, you were receiving so much outwardly opinions about what it needed to be. Um, did it feel like, and, and then it's like, as you're telling the story, it's like, you talk to Pat and Pat's like, well, good luck with that. And it's almost like, in a way, he changed the context where it's like, no, this is on you. Like, this is your sculpture. Right. You get to do whatever the fuck you want with the sculpture. And it's your decision. And everyone else, grocery guy, everyone in your DMs, like, it's not their piece, you know? And this is something that we deal with as sculptors sometimes. I've never done anything political like that. Um, but I still have people giving me their opinions about, right. you know, people going into my DMs and being like, good job. Next time, do the patina like this. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Because, yeah. like, I don't get paid to, like, follow your opinion, you know? Um, so I think that that's when it really became your own, um, which is, I mean, how how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that was when you're able to sort of focus in and when you kind of block out the... Because I, I feel like there was a lot of expectations. Well, it, it's inter what's interesting is, is and I'm, I appreciate what you just said, because it wasn't, I didn't have, now I'd have the clarity of saying he, you know, he, I don't think that he was outwardly saying this is, he wasn't giving, Pat wasn't giving me the, uh, the, um, the sage advice of this is your decision to make. He was, like, <laughs> it was more like, I don't want anything to do with this bullshit yeah. idea. Don't even ask me, you know, good luck with that. Fuck way up. Don't ask me anymore. You know, I think that was yeah. closer to being that, but at the same time, I do appreciate your interpretation of it, which makes a lot of sense. Um, part of me, I found that a lot of the things that people were saying 
were falling upon the lines of things that they had heard in regards to the stances that they had already have. So, so, I mean, we've talked about this off, you know, microphone. We live in a world that's not, that's not black and white. So there are these gray areas and we have to figure out nuanced ways in which to handle complex situations that are very easily explainable. So when I would explain something to a, to a very, very, I have good friends of mine who are very, 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 very pro second amendment. And I'm very pro second amendment. I'm very pro all the amendments. And I'm, I, I, you know, I have, I, uh, as a, I'm a responsible gun owner. I have, I have some vintage guns that that I was given to me by my grandfather and I have them wrapped up and locked away in places that for the past 20 years, for the past 20 years, they have not been involved in anything. So I yeah. do believe that it is, you know, people's ill intentions are, is, is to blame for these things. The problem is, is there's a lot out there. You know, they, 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 they just by asking, they got 187 guns in like a couple of hours and it's like, there's a lot out there. So I found that I was getting, I was having to explain myself in a nuanced way to people who didn't want nuanced answers. I think yeah. that there was a lot of expectation that I was going to be judgmental. There's a lot of expectations that I was going to be this liberal, you know, Zorro or something like that, where I was going to be like, you know, swinging from the rafters talking about anti-guns, which really wasn't the case at all. I feel that one of the biggest problems we have as sculptors is dealing with how we are comfortable in the eyes of being public art. And this is something that I want to talk to you about. Yeah. I've been involved in public art now three times, and need, need the la- this last one is probably the most the most enjoyable experience. Two episodes ago, I was recap. I was on with uh, Nico. It was the uh, downward spiral in the vault. I told this sh- story about how I made the sculpture. This dude fucking hated it. He came up to me and he said he was going to push it into the river, and <laughs> that I and I was I was so he said it's a hunk of shit it's not sculpture and I it's it's ruining my view and I hate it here and I don't like you and he lit me up and I was <laughs> I was in fetal position on the couch for like I mean it was a heart it was hurtful and it yeah. was the first time I'd ever thought to myself fucking public art sucks because everybody doesn't want it if you're doing pub, if you're doing private art you're making private art for somebody who wants that thing that you're making yeah. Why would you make something that people don't like? Why would you want to be involved in that? Yeah, I mean, public art is, uh, I'm not brave enough to do it. There, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I don't pursue it, but it, it's a lot of exposure. And that's, a, again, that's another double-edged sword. Like, you know. It's tough um, because people, people, some people hate it. Like, there's yeah. public sculpture and peak skill. I hate, I hate, I may hate it. Like it's like oh god it's awful and I I don't want I was up to the, one of the last the first the sculpture I was talking about a couple episodes ago I walked up to it once the guy says to me he's like this is what our taxpayers are going this is where our tax money's going to and I said no I didn't get paid for this no one gave me any money for it taxpayer money no no one got paid for this last sculpture and he's just like oh you made this and I was like kinda yeah and it was like this really <laughs> not one other uncomfortable situation yeah I mean. I feel like people have an instinct to just say something, anything about art and uh, they don't really need to, they don't really need to express their opinions. And, but I, I think that that's a good sign. Like if you're, if you have a piece that is um, like following my husband's policy about like Rotten Tomatoes, basically like he likes movies that are split, 
where like half the people like it, half yeah. the people hate it. That's more interesting to him. That's um, and that's I think cool. that that's that's a that is um, there's something to that. I think yeah. if you were a crowd pleaser like a Thomas Kincaid, I don't know if that reference makes sense to you guys. It's like it's this gallery on the West Coast where it's a bunch of like portraits of beaches stuff like that like everyone can go in and go oh yeah right yeah it's fine you know but no one's like i hate this except for me i'm like i fucking hate these colors <laughs> but um <laughs> i think that it's good to um have something that is creating a conversation and that is not like uh just everyone coming from a oneness of one opinion about it or no opinion about it i know? appreciate what you said except for the fact that i don't want to have a conversation with people yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm literally like, I, so <laughs> I, I just, it's to the point where I was like, I'm fulfilling an obligation. Like I said, I would do it and I'm going to do it. And it was great. So I finished the sculpture. I'm very thoughtful. And I think to myself, all right, let's make sure people don't realize it's guns. And then it becomes more interesting because then maybe if they dig a little deeper, they'll find out and then they'll have a different opinion of it as opposed to let's go down and look at the gun sculpture. And then you already have this preconceived idea of what your opinions about guns are. And then you already have this preconceived notion of what you're going to like it or not like it. So in my mind, I'm thinking it's, I was referring to someone about it. I was like, it's kind of like going to a movie, but you know, the spoiler at the end, wouldn't it be nice to watch a movie without the spoiler? Like, wouldn't it be yeah. nice to kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't think that was going to happen, you know? T totally. And I, I also think that, like, the way that I read this sculpture is as, like, a sort of a two-part thing, where, like, the gun, the process of uh, uh, taking guns off of people's hands that don't want them and don't want the responsibility of them and then being sort of recycled down to create a piece of art, that's sort of a disembodied transaction taking these materials and then creating a piece of art that doesn't necessarily need to be about guns. Like a lot of people here in the Bay area, when they cut down the Bay bridge, got a chunk of the bridge. They're not calling their sculptures that they're using that steel for the base, the, the, the bridge sculpture, you know, like there's that deeper meaning to what it, you know, and, and I think that that has more to do with your community and caring for your community and wanting to provide a service and wanting to be a part of it and wanting to be the ward of those guns opposed to somebody who might do something really shitty or crazy with them, you know, um, that, uh, that's one thing. And then the sculpture is another, you know, like I don't talk about how I drive to Bay metals, go pick up my steel. Like it's not really relevant to what I'm making necessarily. That's, you know? that becomes the real issue. Is it's transform? If I've transformed the steel, who the hell cares what it was? Like yeah. that's the part of found object art. Like if you're transforming that material, then you're then you're losing that previous vocabulary. Especially like I have friends, I have friends of mine who are listening to this podcast right now who knew I was making this sculpture, who wanted to help me make this sculpture four years ago, and then when I made the sculpture, they said that's made out of guns. I'm like, yeah, remember. Remember yeah. we talked, remember, remember Dave, D D Dave, remember Dave, you know, he was just like, that's gonna, I think you were there. You remember when I started to do this and I stopped talking about it. You remember that, but it, it, that becomes the interesting thing is as a found object artist, if you can transform the material, then you're almost taking away the history. Now, of course I took off 
the a lot of the parts just because they were really unusable for there were there were limitations to the sculpture like it can't have parts falling off i can't have parts that yeah. can cut somebody i can't have parts that can break off or rust or i don't want to have to do any welding on the job I, this is a structural sculpture to a certain degree so there were there you know there was taking away parts but at the same time it was transform and i left muzzles i left a lot of like little there were a lot of little tiny hints that you go up to and you can say oh yeah yeah and i was even talking to my friend to our friend ben snor and he was just like oh i can see i was talking to him about it and he was just like oh i can see some junction points that now now yeah. that i know what it is now i can i can spot some parts so i had to make a few adjustments because of the footing and the spacing and stuff like that but i finished the painting we did a raw, and I even had the, I climbed up, I climbed up on it and I had the, my friend who got involved, I said, climb, I said, climb this thing so you know that it's not going to fall apart. <laughs> because there were, you know, because it's all high carbon steel and because I'm using the, the uh, leaf springs, there were welds popping every five minutes. And well, what happened was I have to l- listen for the welds popping because, you know, that MIG wire is not the same alloy as the leaf spring, it's not the same alloy as the gun barrels. So they were stressed. They were, you know, everything was under pressure, and then they pop. And then I would re-weld where that's where that relief was. So I had we had to climb up it just to make sure, because I'm sure there would be some kids, you know, they were going to make, and they wanted to make a whole big thing. And I said, I got a great idea, and we did a we did a uh, test where to figure out where the. Uh, to figure out where the footings were going to go, we had to bring it down there on painting and stuff like that. And the welds were popping every left and right. And I, had, you know, when they brought it back, so I said, I got a great idea. Let's not call it the gun sculpture. And they were like, "No, this is the whole fucking thing. This is the gun buyback. So this is no, no, we're not." Uh, I'm like, "Well, here." And I explained. I was like, "Wouldn't it be great if the?" Then they just told him, "Wouldn't it be great to go to a movie and not have the spoiler?" And like, they're like, "No, no, this was the whole goddamn thing. Is that we yeah. made this sculpture from the guns from the gun buyback program?" All right, there's no avoiding it anymore. So I got it in the shop. I've rewelded everything. I hit it with the wire brush. Did I spend as much time as I would have liked to on the the fabrication? No, but at the same time, it was like I needed out. I'm also one of these guys. Like at ninety percent, I'm, I'm already checked out. Like I'm already yeah. checked out at ninety percent of being finished. Checked out. Painted it. Looks great. We installed it. There was going to be media there and then i'm thinking to myself all right we're done i'm done and i thought to myself all right it's going to be a huge weight weight off and i'm not going to have to i don't have to i don't have to go to the opening i don't have to do anything <sighs> five minutes later into that we need we're going to have a big event on the 11th and we want you to do a speech we're going to have the the newspaper the news is going to be there the city is going to be there the mayor is going to be there the chief of police is going to be there we want you to make a speech so I wrote a speech and I was like, there's no avoiding it now. And then we had a beautiful event and the art people who were there spun their bullshit. They said whatever the fuck. I don't know what the fuck they said. They they off the cuffed it and off the cuffed it. And my friend had a nice speech. And then the, I ended up, the so it's all done. I And I meet, the mayor comes up to me and he pulls, she pulls me aside. And she says, I just want you to know we're all breathing a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> and and I and yeah. I said and I said why is that? He says because you know. And I was just like, the past four years we were worried about what you were going to do. And it was like, and then the police chief said the same thing. It was a new police chief since uh, the left since the last four years. And then some of the common council came up to me like, whoa, we are so relieved that this <laughs> this wasn't. A, and then one of my friends who says we thought you were going to motherfuck us. We thought you were going to motherfuck us and do like a big fuck you or a big giant gun or something grotesque and i was like look and i explained myself like i'm trying to like 
go under the radar with this fucking thing to begin with. <laughs> so like, I'm not trying to make any problems. And the mayor says to me, she's like, I'm so glad I didn't have to mop this up. She said in so many words, like, <laughs> like all of a sudden it could be, you know, it could have been, you taken, should be like, you owe me. You owe me. It could have been it's taken cool. in you a way. Me. It could have been taken. I could have made something that like all of a sudden the news, t- look at the sculpture that the city and the, yeah. the police department's, you know, finance, because here's what happened. So then when I got in, I got interviewed by the local news, they had a particular opinion of what they were going to go with. And they asked me two questions. And the whole thing was just co-opted in a way that it wasn't, I didn't have the ability to capture exactly what was the sculpture was about or was it meant to be said or whatever. And they just talked about, you know, this is the bullshit to the point where I was like, I'm not sharing this. If you want to look at, you want to look at this News 12 bullshit, you can feel free. I ain't helping you. And then another friend of mine did a video and I could tell that he wanted to kind of get into the Instagram slipstream. So he used buzzwords that I wouldn't have used in order to get like gun rights activists angry. Like he co-opted the idea yeah. because I know, and I even talked to him, I called him on it. I said, like, I'm not mad at you. I can't control what you use, but I know that you used this sculpture for getting viral likes for your Instagram because you didn't say anything other than this was made from guns. You know, you didn't say this was, you didn't like, it's more than that. And it was more along the lines of a community thing. And, and I'm fine with it. And then that's the end of it. And I'm done with it. And everyone's happy so far. And I have only had a few threats to my life throughout this whole experience. (laughs) Not a lot, not enough that I'm like, you know, I haven't had to call my friend from the FBI and just be like, what should I do yet? But you know, that's always, I got that in the back pocket and that's the story. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I feel like, you know, your friend, whatever they were doing, whatever they're doing with their hashtags, like once you put that sculpture out there, especially in the public eye, like you've lost control over how people are going to perceive it. Completely. And that's, that's how it is with every piece that we ever make. But I think, uh, yeah, I think it's really brave to do something that's so inflammatory. And I, I feel like uh, I I would, and I think that that's why um, all of the people that were kind of the mayor, the police, city council, everyone was so grateful that you took a very moderate approach piece because that's sort of how I think a lot of people want to view guns in general. You know, like I, I think that if we go to a place of pragmatism as opposed to like, the conversation shut down if you feel like it's affiliated, not your side. Like, I don't think that's the reality of the situation. I think we could be safer and be having more productive conversations if we were handling it in a moderate and understanding way. I you know? agree with you. And there was a lot of thought in regards to what is forging, but forging is taking material and heating it up and manipulating the mass and volume. And I said something in the speech along the lines of maybe we can look at forging as our way to kind of change the way we see things. And maybe we can kind of, you know, maybe we can change the conversation in a different way, looking at it in a different view, as opposed to me just like welding guns up. I was making the point of like, this this is a complicated issue. Let's not just say the same things over and over again. And... 
you know, I appreciate you. You said brave too many times because it really wasn't brave. <laughs> it was we. If, I would have said oh, the word man. weaselly because I was really trying to avoid problems. I wasn't a uh, funny. I'll tell you a funny story. So I was involved with a sculpture a number of years ago in the sculpture park by West Point. West Point, the Army, the uh, Military mm-hmm. Academy. And it yeah. was a sculpture, like parade almost. It was like down the street of where I've toured. So I put my sculpture, it was this giant lure in the whatever, the park. And then like, there's this guy who made this awful, awful, giant, sit, it was a giant made out of rocks, sitting in a rock throne. Like he took, you know, he made, it looked like, a, it almost looked like Optimus Prime a little bit, like a yeah, robot yeah. made out of rocks. Like he would drill holes and then put rebar in and kind of connect the rocks. And this, there's this, and he was look, meant to look like the devil or something like that. It was just this is a really not good, it wasn't very good sculpture. It was just a big rock devil on a throne. They placed <laughs> it, they placed it across the street from a church. Yeah. And he was so happy. Because he said to me at the opening, I'm going to get so much. This is going to be, people are getting upset already. And there were people who already from the church who didn't want to get married with this fucking rock Satan facing them. They thought it was bad. <laughs> it was a whole thing. And he turns to me and he's like, oh, this is going to be on the news. And this is going to be, I can't wait. I'm going to get so famous from this. And he's like, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, I don't think anyone's going to say anything. And he looked at me and I was like, I don't, like nobody, I don't think anybody cares. To be honest with you, yeah. there's a couple people who don't like it, but I don't think I don't think you're going to get what you're thinking you're going to get. And I was right. I was just like, you're you're hoping for some bullshit, and you're not going to get it because it's just like this is some nothing shit right here. You got a curator who should have something to be answered for, but other than that, it's like it's a nothing sculpture, and you're trying to make something out of it because it's facing a church, and you made a rock devil. And it's just like, eh. So for me, I was thinking about that. I was just like, I don't want to. I don't. I'm not looking for trouble. You know. And I'm, I was trying to weasel my way out of it, be honest with you. I wasn't trying to take a stance. I was trying to like make something that when people walk past it, maybe they thought it was good. Maybe they thought it was good looking. And then they look at it further and they're just like, whoa, there's some history to this. Like that was kind of more, more of where I was going for. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I think that, uh, it's impossible to make a piece like that and not kind of, uh, say something in your actions about how you feel or what you're doing. And I think that, what I'm reading from the way that you handled the material and what you chose to do that, uh, you know, you're, you're, a, an expansive person that has an open mind and that, uh, is not afraid to take on something that is very evocative subject. And then to do something that, uh, feels like it honors everyone. Because it's supposed to honor the entire community. You've given me too much credit again. I mean, you're really expansive. <laughs> like, I, I, I literally wanted nothing. I, want, I said I'd do it. I wanted the parts. And I've had to figure out a way to minimize problems. And I didn't want it to be ugly. And I didn't want... I, I, you're giving me too much credit. You seriously are. I mean, legitimately, like, I am not taking on hard topics. Because if I took on a hard topic, I, if, frankly, if... We, if it wasn't for the goddamn police department and the mayor's office and the whole prod and the, and the PR department wanting to make a big stink about it, I would never have said the word gun to begin with. I would have never, no one would have ever known about it. So, you know, I'm yeah. not trying to like pretend like I'm, you know, like Paul Revere over here. I, I, I'm literally like, I, I'll fade in the dark. It's fine. I personally now, believe it or not, I think it's the best sculpture in Peekskill. 
because I think it's actually good looking. I think it's a good looking yeah. sculpture, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not looking for, I wasn't looking for any trouble. I'm not looking for any trouble. And I wanted to get you in here to kind of like tell my story. We can talk about public art. I don't want to ever do it again. And I am going to be making more sculpture <laughs> with those guns. And I'm not going to say a fucking word. I just going to sneak it in and you're not going to know. Yeah. And I think that that can be, that can be just for you you know, wow. or who you choose to share that with. And uh, as artists, we're allowed to talk about, we're allowed to reveal as much of our process as we choose to, and then we're allowed to hold things close to the vest too. I mean, it's a very personal experience making work, even if you're making it in a public arena like that. Um, you don't have to answer for every decision you make. You don't have to answer for every path you go down. You don't, um, but you're, but you're, you don't, of course. But you are, as soon as you put something in the public eye, you're automatically, you can't say, I refuse criticism. I refuse to hear criticism. Like, y you put it out there and something happens, someone doesn't like it, you, it's, it's, it's unreasonable to say, I, I'm putting this out there and I refuse to hear criticism. It's unreasonable. I, yeah. I mean, I think the distinction is, like, we always hear the criticism. Right. But like the, the choice that you get to make is like whether you've internalized that or not. Like, you know, you're not a bad person. You know, you didn't handle that the wrong way. You didn't like every, you, sh you should feel proud standing behind your decisions. And anyone who has a problem with that is not being expansive and not being open minded. And that's their problem, not yours. You know, it was it was once again, you're too complimentary towards me. I'm literally, I'm literally, I'm literally a weasel. I'm literally a weasel in this. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm owning it at the same time. It's hard. And I, the one thing I am happy about, I actually, I gave pictures to my prof art professor from years ago, college. I gave him pictures. I explained the whole thing. And he was, he, we had a nice long conversation about my decisions. And he says, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness you had in regards to dealing with this very difficult situation. Like he knew, he knew I didn't want to do a giant, you know, I could have done a giant finger out of guns. And it was like, he, 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 it, we had a nice long conversation and I felt like all my decisions were sincere and they fit within the confines of the decision-making I make in regards to my work, even though that this is very out of the scope of the work that I normally do. However, you can see a lot of what I normally do with the color and with the way I paint. And I like things to look human and I don't want to, there was some opportunity. There was somebody wanted to get it powder coated and I was just like, but then it's going to look like a person didn't do it. You know, I want it to look like yeah. I want there to be paint drips. I want it to look like a human did it. I like all my work has always had this degree of humanity. Like, I feel for me, sure. that's always been like uh, allowing things to be the way that they, they are. But the takeaway is it's over. And I feel I feel relieved now that I've talked to you because I feel like you have, <laughs> you know, even though you did give me a little bit too much, too much nice, you know, kind words, you gave me too much. I think you're too hard on yourself. But I, I do think that uh, the, the sculpture really is successful because there's so much of you in it. It's your color scheme your ideas it's how you decided to handle the material and i think it's really beautiful really nice gift to kill and uh yeah i uh i mean i think it's just a well you're very kind and i appreciate it i appreciate you saying that i will tell you one funny story so of course there's going to be like 
activists at the at the at the uh, unveiling, of course, and and the people that I know, and it's fine. There was one person, and I'm going to be vague, just because it's just I, I there's a picture that I had to have with this person because they had a sign, and the sign said, "There's n- violence. There's n- violence is an atrocity, and shouldn't be in our schools." But violence was spelled wrong on the sign. <laughs> it was violence was spelled wrong. And I'm looking at the sign. I'm just like, something's wrong with that sign. I'm like, violence. It looked like she, this person wrote violins, you know? So it was violence was spelled wrong. So I turned to my kid and I said, you got to get me, I got to get a picture with that person with that sign. And she goes, why? I'm like, don't worry about it. Just get a picture of me with that person and that sign. And I said, do you mind if I, and I looked at her and I said, I you know, really like your sign. Do you think I could get a picture with you and the sign? She goes, oh, I'd be honored. So I, there's a picture of me. I'll send it to you after this is all over. This is yeah, hilarious. <laughs> I don't fuck it. I'll send it to you right now if I get on my phone. So this, um, so, so, so my kid turns to me and she goes, why did you want to get a picture with that? Uh, why would, wait, hold on a second. I'm going to find it. Why did you want to get a picture with uh, this woman and the, and the signs? And I said, well, here it is. Oh, this is a beauty. This is a total beauty. I'm sending it to you right now. I, I have, yeah, you have to see this in real time. Here it goes. And I said, well, do you understand? Do you, do you kind of, I sent it to you. So I said, do you understand that it's hilarious that this woman wrote this, this person? Wrote, <laughs> it's great, right? Yeah. How great is that? I mean, not to mention like that, like she was holding a nice drink and then the, the drink was staining the taking the ink off the, the off the sign and she was like upset that the you know her hand was getting dirty from the sign and it was like it was the best parts of like you know like the absurdity of liberalism in general and all these yeah. active all activism and it's like this larry david moment i'm just like i need a picture with this woman and she spelled violence wrong you know so that was the, that was the takeaway and and uh it was very successful in the city of uh, actually the, the police chief now used to be a uh, welder and he said he used to fix uh, he used to weld up and repair like uh, bumper cars for the for uh, like um, like uh, fairs and stuff like that. You know the the traveling fairs where they would have like a, oh yeah yeah. So he yeah. was talking to me. We were he and I were talking about that and stuff like that. And it was like you know everyone was cool. There were people who were writing in on various things. That this is you know referred to me as the real criminal because apparently I'm the criminal and involved with this. And it was like, there was a lot of like, not a ton of it, but there was a lot of like, you know, the standard stuff that you would think to hear. So. Yeah. And I mean, I I really hope that we can kind of move past that. I, I think that there's been such a, you're on my team or you're not kind of a right. thing and everything's so heavily politicized. Right. And it's bringing us further and further away from pragmatic decisions. And it's like, if you have people like that that aren't even really understanding the meaning of it, they're just kind of, I mean. It's fine. I like I said. I like don't know a, what to do with them, you know? You, like I said, in, if, as a whole, the, the people who have had more conservative opinions on the matter have been more reasonable. Yeah, when for I talk sure. to them, then yeah. the friends of mine who are kind of more on the liberal side. So, I, I mean, there's no you can't change people's opinions. They, they, unfortunately, I think the real takeaway is, is it'd be nice if people just like thought about things and and just able were able to kind of think about things without 
using the words that they hear that's really kind of the cool thing to say, you know, or, or think that they've heard one of their favorite media people say. And, you yeah, know, that's the end of it. You become pretty reactive, you know. People, um, people are thieves. They, they're, they're idea thieves. They're word thieves. They're mindset thieves. And it's all under the auspices of trying to be this better person and give the odd the idea that they're more enlightened than you and you, you know, even attributing other people's quotes to you on your you know what your social media and stuff like that it's, it's always like this way in which to be perceived in this manner and look we're never going to get past it i just unfortunately i just don't want to have to have to talk to people one-on-one -on -one all the time like i get a lot of like explain this to me Oh, I don't, I can't do this every five minutes. It's just like, it's kind of too much. So this is, this was that ability. You've, you've allowed me to kind of say, all right, go to the full blast podcast with, with Leah and, and, and you'll hear all my inner thoughts and you'll hear where it comes from and you'll realize that I'm not some sort of like, you know, you'll know that I'm a weasel. You know, that's, 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 where it comes <laughs> that's, that's not my takeaway. I hope um, it is. That's my takeaway is I'm the, I honestly believe I'm the Larry David of metalwork. Like I honestly, everything is a complete inconvenience to me. And it's so crazy. You say that. Cause I just started watching Curb Your oh. Enthusiasm for the first time. And I started like immediately identifying with him and my husband oh. was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, he is, he is, he is, my wife tells people I've married Larry David. <laughs> everything is a complete everything is a complete inconvenience to me so having to do this was like a giant you know it was a giant it was it was hard to do i the problem is is i once i tell somebody do it i'm do something i'm gonna i fucking do it and that's just the end of it we've talked about this enough what's next for leah arapach will we be seeing more i in my mind will we be seeing more collaborations with you and other bladesmiths yeah, definitely. I have, I think I have the next two years of Blade Show already, uh, a, like my collaborator for the next two years. Different so. person? Are we doing Seth yeah. again? Oh, don't say anything. Oh, you know, I mean, to... I'm definitely going to collaborate with Seth more in the future. I really enjoyed working with him. He's super easy to communicate with. I really, I think he's incredibly talented. So like, we will definitely collaborate again. But uh, I'd like to do a different uh, Bladesmith each year um if i can um and i may make some other things because i would like to go to blade show next year and meet people that i don't run into out I'm gonna, there i'm gonna hopefully be down there too next year yeah i think it'd be really really fun well, are we gonna um, see you at maker camp this year yep great yep great. we had a good time um, you gotta you gotta wear your work clothes next time and you gotta be with us you gotta be with us you gotta be forging with us yeah, think I think it. I was coming off the heels of like uh, being a little shy about uh, uh, it, it, like working in front of people. I don't. You're know. with us. Um, you're with us. You're with us. Yeah, you're with us. But I'm actually uh, kind of getting past that a little bit. I'm I'm going to be doing a my very first demonstration this summer at Roaring Camp, which is a a CBA affiliated uh, hammer in. So where's that? Uh, it's going to be in Felton, which is like the hills of Santa Cruz. Um, and I'm going to be demonstrating how to, how to hybridize your, some forging skills with some, uh, fabrication skills to kind of, uh, mesh those things together and get some results. Look at you. Look at you. Anything else? <laughs> uh, I think busy that's summer. it Any traveling? Now. Any traveling? You got to get any travel plans? 
Um, we're going to try to get to the river a little bit and do some camping this summer. Nice. Um, I think Andrea de Leon is going to come back up in July and we might do some collaborative stuff as well. I'm really enjoying the collaborations. I'm, I'm typically a lone wolf and I feel like the more I, the more I'm becoming expansive and open-minded and like, uh, relinquishing control, uh, the, the more interesting the pieces are becoming. So I'm, I'm going to keep rolling with it and having fun and just spending time with amazing people. We have such an amazing community and uh, I've really enjoyed working with people and hanging out with people. So, yeah. Liara Potch making it happen. She has, <laughs> she is deeply ensconced. She's the, she's a, a award winning knife, a blade magazine award winner, never made a knife before. You're the, you're the outlier. You're the, 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 you're the, you're the, you're loved by all, loved by all. And you are, uh, you, it, it always is great talking with you. And we are every, as far as I'm concerned, everybody I know, and when your name comes up, they're like, she's so badass. <laughs> so you 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 have you've oh, created I'm honored. A, you've created quite a reputation. So I'm uh, and I'm honored to be I'm honored to, that you take my phone calls. By the way, so like when I talk about sculpture, I'm always honored when we talk about stuff. So thank you. I so don't much. answer my phone for uh, that many people because I'm not much of a phone talker. But I always answer your phone calls. Honored to be your friend. Lear, I love chatting with you, Lear Potch. Everybody, <laughs> you listen. You gotta follow Lear Potch. Lear Potch on Instagram. I don't think she does anything else, but I'm, wherever she's doing, you should follow up because I got that feeling that she's going to be doing some big, big things. She's a wonderful person. She's extraordinarily talented. And if you're a knife maker and you want to see some real high level, beautiful sculpture that's thoughtful and well executed, there's no other person that I can think of right now than Leah Arapach. Leah. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You you mean so much to me and a lot of other people. You are the best. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love you all. Thank you. <laughs> she loves you all, everybody. Okay, we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Leah. Yeah, of course. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. 